Thanks for listening to the GOSH podcast. GOSH stands for the Gynecologic Oncology Sharing Hub, an open space for real and evidence-based discussions on gynecologic cancers. We'll share the stories of gyne cancer patients and survivors and hear from researchers and clinicians who are working behind the scenes to improve the lives of people with gynecologic cancers. Our podcast is produced and recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. It is produced by the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative, a province-wide initiative in British Columbia with the mission to accelerate transformative research and translational practice on the prevention, detection, treatment, and survivorship of gynecologic cancers. Hi, I'm Nicole Kay. And I'm Stephanie Lamb. And you're listening to the GOSH Podcast. Welcome back to the GOSH Podcast. My name is Nicole Kay, and I will be your host for this episode. Today, we have with us Dr. Alicia Tone. Alicia is the Scientific Advisor at Ovarian Cancer Canada and has been in the ovarian cancer field for 20 years. Her history prior to joining Ovarian Cancer Canada includes a PhD at the University of Toronto in Ontario, a postdoctorate training at BC Cancer, and seven years as a scientific associate in the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at Princess Margaret Cancer Centre. In 2020, Dr. Tone started her work with Ovarian Cancer Canada, where she runs the National OVCAN Research Initiative and performs collaborative research to understand and improve care along the ovarian cancer continuum, which includes prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and supportive care. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Tone. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I think we'll just jump right into the first question with, you know, what um what first got you interested in ovarian cancer um well so i've always been interested in science and medicine in general but i would say that my original motivation for joining the field and really focusing on ovarian cancer was threefold um i had a general desire to impact change in an area of women's health Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a desire to do something in cancer because my grandfather had recently passed away from colon cancer. Um, and on a more nerdy level, I was really excited by the fact that there was a lot more room for scientific discovery um, compared to something like breast cancer. I liked that it was kind of the underdog um, and there was so much mystery for the biology side. Um, I would say that over time, it's become much more personal rather than scientific, especially since joining uh, Ovarian Cancer Canada. I've heard so many stories and now I've actually formed relationships with real women living with the disease. So that really continues to kind of light my fire to continue working, um, even if it's difficult sometimes, Mm -hmm. which it is. Um, And I really get a great sense of satisfaction from doing work that's meaningful and has the potential to impact uh, lives of women, women and families in a real tangible way, rather than sitting at a bench, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your role as scientific advisor at Ovarian Cancer Canada? Sure. So I was trying to actually figure out how to explain it. And (laughs) because as you know, there's always so many things you do within a position. So 
I think I like to think of my role as driving and highlighting ovarian cancer research on a national level. And I do this by leveraging the knowledge that I've gained and the relationships I've built over the last 20 years. That's like the the overall big picture what I do. But on a day-to-day basis, I manage our national OFCAN research initiative, which I know we'll speak about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes working with our governing council, the patient partner team, as well as funding partners um, and the scientists themselves. Um, I conduct patient-informed research through OCC's own initiatives and in collaboration with uh, many of the people that I've made relationships with over the years in the scientific and clinical community. Um, They're really geared towards understanding and improving care um, across the ovarian cancer continuum, as you mentioned. Um, I also work really closely with other OCC team members to help highlight the most important information on the disease and research progress and kind of late breaking um, news, et cetera, that's relevant. So I actually collaborate with a diverse set of people within the OCC team, um, such as those of knowledge mobilization, advocacy and government relations, survivorship programming, Mm -hmm. marketing and communications, fund development, finance, it's kind of spans the whole spectrum. Um, And I'm most excited about recently is that I have actually started to become directly involved in advocacy as well. So really pushing for change. Um, I participated in a virtual day on the Hill in September, talking about the need for continued funding. Um, And then also, for instance, a lab tour in Halifax in February. So I do a lot of things. You wear (laughs) many, many hats. Yes, there's many hats involved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we dive into uh, the OVCAN initiative and if you could tell us a little bit about what it is and and its purpose. Sure. So OVCAN is Ovarian Cancer Canada's five-year national research initiative. So it spans from 2019 to 2024. um, And it's dedicated to identifying and testing new treatments for ovarian cancer, um, and most importantly, for all types of ovarian cancer. So not just those that are the most common, Mm high-grade serous, but those less common types as well. Um, Interestingly and very importantly, the overall priority of the program um, was set in consultation with scientific, clinical, and patient communities way back in 2015. uh, There were then four years of advocacy um, to secure the funding. So patients, scientists and clinicians all helped with that as Mm -hmm. well. Um, Ultimately, the program is $14 million over the five years. Um, There are a lot of different funding sources, the biggest one being Health Canada. Um, The governments of Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia each contributed $1 million. We also have partnerships with Cancer Research Society and Iroquois, which is a drug discovery company in Montreal. Um, So I like to say, and we all like to say that we're doing research differently. And it's true because all the priorities are set together 
And then in order to allocate the, the funds to specific projects within those priorities, we use a combined approach of kind of strategic and collaborative decision-making and then the standard competition um, that scientists are used to. And we make sure that patients um, are involved at every step, in, including in the decision process. So I won't go into all the details, yeah. but we have funded 44 research projects oh, actually wow, across amazing. Canada. Um, and I'm super proud that we pay special attention to those less common types. Yeah. Um, they're really understudied and patients with those types of ovarian cancer have have fewer treatment options. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the patient partners are a huge part of it, as well as we're already thinking ahead because this program ends on March 31st, 2024. Um, so we already have come up with the, you know, the next steps, how to go even bigger. Mm-hmm. Again, with all of um, the larger community weighing in and, and working together. Um, and that's really what we're at what we're advocating, advocating for, um, for all those things I was talking about. So just making sure we, we continue and build on the progress that we've made through this Mm -hmm. program. And is there anything just on, on a progress standpoint that, you know, would be really key or that you want to highlight that you've been really Mm -hmm. excited about or. Yeah. So I would say probably two things. So we have funded six clinical trials. Um, all multi-site, mm-hmm. all incorporating um, translational studies on samples collected from patients. So you can really maximize what you learn about those things, about the uh, patients and the drugs that you're testing by doing that. And one of those includes the first low-grade serous ovarian cancer trial in Canada, which we're very excited about. Um, I would also say that... Um, I would highlight that we're, we've built this pipeline. It's a very efficient pipeline. Um, I call it the pipeline of discovery because yeah. we have, you know, this set of like uh, high fidelity research models for ovarian cancer that can be used as like the scientific toolbox to continue to make discoveries. Mm-hmm. And then we feed into preclinical studies and then clinical trials. So it's kind of a well-oiled machine at this point. And it's going to lead to more and more, you know, important discoveries that can lead mm-hmm. to new treatments for mm-hmm. these women. And in our previous episode, we talked to Donna Pepin, who's one of yes. your patient partners, and she was mentioning her involvement, um, you know, in, in research. And uh, she was talking about that was sort of a well-oiled machine in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, how they would um, support in um, the various initiatives that you have going on. And sort of a, I think she's talking about like a rating or grading system and um, which sounded really, really excellent. Um, But can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the patient involvement in research and patient informed Mm -hmm. research that you're implementing um, with OCC? Yeah, so obviously our patient partners and research program is the biggest example. Um, And then I might uh, touch on some other research that we're doing as well, kind of outside of that. So for the patient partners and research program, it's really to, to both honor the fact that patients were so key in us um, securing the funding. And because we know that 
you know, hearing the unique perspective of those with lived experience can mm-hmm. really elevate the research and make it more relevant and important um, and increase the quality, frankly. Um, so this team that we have put together, it's co-led by OCC staff. So okay. myself and Dr. Jessica Lawson, and she's also an alumni of David Huntsman's lab. Okay. Um, interestingly, mm-hmm. um, as well as two patient co-leads. So Donna, who you met. Yes. Um, and Shannon Kadar. Uh, so basically it's a group of individuals depending on the day, it's between 17 and 20 participants from across Canada, um, really representing different experiences. So different types of ovarian cancer, age, sexuality, cultural backgrounds, geography. Um, we also have a caregiver to mm. offer a different perspective as yeah. well. Very so what my role is and what Jessica's role is, is to really prepare our patient partners and match them to appropriate research opportunities um, to really complement the work of the scientists that we're funding. So they've been involved in tons of things. Um, I don't know if you want me to list them. There's like a million, but yeah. essentially. Maybe a few involved. key ones. Yeah, key ones, they, they serve on grant review panels. So they're okay. literally at the table um, and they have a vote just like every other yeah. reviewer. Um, they speak as panelists or speakers at a lot of our conferences and symposia. They also um, consult on patient education tools uh, as well as scientific funding applications. So for instance, the the big funding application to the government that we have kind of out in the ether right now, uh, they were involved in, you know, critically reviewing, brainstorming, um, and just making sure it was as good as possible. Um, and again, they, they're standing beside us for the advocating at mm-hmm. all levels of government um, for funding and equity of access. And um, yeah, it's just invaluable and it's such an important and fulfilling part of what I do. I would also say that outside of that specific program, we also run our own patient informed research. So we did most notably the Every Woman study, um, the Canadian edition of the Every Woman study. That's actually a global study that we adapted to the Canadian context. And it's really um, revealed some regional gaps as well as interesting gaps and differences based on different circumstances, such Mm -hmm. as patient age um, and things about clinical trial access and genetic testing and how you actually go through that pathway to being diagnosed. So that has really um, informed our advocacy moving forward as well. So patients are at the center of literally everything of what we do. And that every woman study that was initiated by the World Health Organization. It was initiated by the World Ovarian Cancer Coalition. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So our former CEO um, has been involved in that uh, organization for a long time, and now we're okay. our 
our new CEO is as well. And so we were working really closely with the WOCC team mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to adapt it and report back and consult with the clinical community as well uh, okay. about what we found. So you mentioned um, that your patient partners often present at, you know, conferences and different speaking engagements. And, you know, many of our GCI researchers and trainees attended uh, the Biennial Canadian Conference on Ovarian Cancer Research. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, that conference um, and some of the goals that it has? Mm-hmm. Sure. So this is our flagship national conference on ovarian cancer research. Um, it was originally spearheaded by Dr. Barbara Vanderheiden, um, and it's happened every two years since 2004. Um, and I've been lucky to be attending since 2006, uh, where I started as a trainee. Um, it's really an incredible event that I look forward to every two years. Mm-hmm. It covers all aspects of ovarian cancer research and care. And there's a lot of focus on fostering collaborative relationships um, among the scientists, as well as the trainees. There's a huge mm-hmm. component for trainees there as well. Um, so this is an amazing close-knit community that I've kind of grown up yeah. as a scientist <laughs> in. Um, so part of it is, and this is where I, I met some of the trainees from GCI, is since 2010, I've organized a trainee day, kind of okay. like Ovarian Cancer 101, yeah. that happens right before the main conference to introduce them to all the topics that they're going to be seeing at the conference, um, you know, f- get them to connect with each other, as well as hear from survivors. So we have usually two survivors speak to the trainees as well. And for me, hearing from them, uh, early in my training really solidified wanting to stay in the field. And I, 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 frankly, I feel like they're the reason that I'm still in the field is <laughs> just hearing that so young. So we continue that, um, as well. And then survivors also attend, um, last year they actually attended the full conference as well as a, a lunch with survivors and trainees, which is also, a very popular and important event because, you know, these individuals continuously tell me how much they were inspired by their survivors. And Mm -hmm. there's actually people in um, contact even now, like survivors and trainees who met through CCOCR. So. And still continue to connect. That's great. great. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of power in hearing those survivor voices um, and connecting them early on to, you know, as you were mentioning, just, you know, Im- improve the quality of the research. So that's excellent. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the resources that are available uh, through ovarian cancer or to ovarian cancer um, researchers through OCC? Sure. So I would say, so those models I was mentioning, that that scientific toolbox, mm-hmm. um, we are actually really focused on making those as available and shareable as possible um, because we want to, you know, facilitate high quality translational research across the board. Um, so we have an online catalog of what we have um, and I'm right now working on a master agreement to facilitate sharing among scientists 
in Canada in a timely manner because those, okay. you know, sharing of these things can take time. Yeah. So it's trying to make it a little easier. Um, we also have a large tissue banking network, which is invaluable for mm. um, facilitating research as well. We have we fund seven tissue banks in six provinces, and we want to keep growing that. Um, what I think is a really good resource is actually the network that we have. So we have 250 plus members of scientists, clinicians, trainees, survivors, advocates um, that are all kind of interconnected that we are at the center of. And I feel like especially a young investigator or someone who lives, who works in a small center, it can be invaluable to get into that network and we mm -hmm. can, um, you know, connect them with the right people if they're looking for specific expertise or um, to foster new collaborations. As well, our patient partners and research group has really become an important resource, especially for those in more of the basic or foundational science. We're really trying to increase um, engagement in that area. As you can imagine, that's a little more complicated and, and no one really knows how to do it yet. So we've had a lot of interest from the translational scientists to um meet our patient partners, start to bounce ideas off each other. And it's already leading to some interesting kind of organic collaborations in that way as well. And then we do, obviously we fund um, scientists through OCC and other means, um, okay. notably through collaboration with, with uh, Cancer Research Society. So we want to keep growing that aspect as well. So as mm -hmm. we bring things up over the next few years. Now, our audience base, I would say, is really mixed around those who, you know, would be on the patient side, survivor, uh, support person to someone who has a gynae cancer or who has lived mm -hmm. through a gynae cancer, as well as both the research and clinician side. So if either one of those groups is someone who's listening, who's interested in getting involved with Ovarian Cancer Canada, um, you know, what would the best way for them to do so? So you can go to the website. That's okay. probably um, the best idea. It's ovariancanada.org. Um, we also have an info at email account. So info at ovariancanada.org. Um, and basically, if you email that email, they will direct it to the appropriate person. Um, we have a lot of support staff as well as the research staff, uh, myself and Jessica. So yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch. And then it will just be directed to the right mm -hmm. people. It, the audience is actually really reflective of who we are connected to as well. Okay. So it's, we would have something for any of those audiences. Yeah. Excellent. I'm just checking your website out now and I know we'll include the website link in our show notes, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as um, your various social media channels, which are also mm -hmm. another good way to connect yeah. with uh, OCC and, and see what you yes. have going on. So we'll definitely include those as well. Um, 
Thank you so much for joining us, um, Dr. Tone. It was it was really great to connect with you and learn more about your role um, and all the work that you're doing with OCC. Um, it's excellent to hear, you know, the initiatives that, that you and the group are driving forward. So thank you for coming on the show today and sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the GOSH podcast. To learn more about the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative and our podcast, make sure to check out our website at gynecancerinitiative.ca.